Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangst. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. We have so many topics to get to today, and I hope we get to all of them, but we might not. We have some politics, some Olympics. Sports. One of our favorite topics. Our, one always. of the ones that we always try to get to, and gosh darn it, you know, we just run out of time. We wanted to talk about some popular culture that we've experienced, too. I don't know what there is to say about Cuomo. I mean, he was so great during the pandemic. He was so refreshing. He gave all those daily reports that were fact-filled and responsible. And he was like the voice of reason. It was so healing to hear him. The girls watched him every single night. I couldn't call at 9 o'clock because he was on giving his report. And Chris, too. They had a whole comedy routine. It was funny, but tedious. So what I've been hearing... A lot of it has to do with the fact that Republicans don't resign. Matt Gates has not made any noises about resigning. Right. Trump certainly never resigned. Right. There's just so many. Roy Moore, who was running for senator in Georgia. Alabama. People voted for him. We have an Al Franken and we boot him out. Mm-hmm. Joy Reid really went off on a tangent. Did you hear her? No. Oh, she was back from her vacation and loaded for bear. Yeah. Basically saying there's a rapist who was in the White House. Right. Right. And he was accused of raping a 14-year-old girl, right. as well as E. Jean Carroll. She has a point. At the same time, I don't think somebody who's been accused of manhandling women and putting them in a hostile environment and right. making them feel threatened and also then feeding items to the media that would discourage them from going further, which he did. I don't think that he should be holding office either. Yeah. He did one thing that was so creepy. He groomed this one young state trooper. He had seen her at some sort of a function. And state troopers had to have, I think it was three years of service before they could be assigned to something like the governor's detail. And she'd only had two years, but he maneuvered it so that she could be on his watch. One time they were in the elevator and he ran his finger down her spine And then he said, hey, you, isn't that creepy? Yeah. And then she was holding the door open for him, and he put his hand on her and rubbed it across her stomach. Oh, yeah, I heard that part. And she felt really violated, which is, it's a place that you don't get touched. Right. It's just weird. It's a soft spot. Exactly. And it's intimate, and it's by your groin, and it's really untoward. Yeah. So what do you think? I think he's old enough to come from a culture that was okay with that. And he probably has total blindness about how violating that is and how intrusive and invasive that is. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that should excuse him from the consequences of what we know now. And we know better than to dismiss that or minimize it or excuse it. It's a form of abuse. So he needs to uh, be held accountable. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast today and the question was asked, could someone who is young get away with what he's gotten away with? And I just had to think about Matt Gates. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Matt Gates's behavior. He right. A woman who is underage across right. state lines. Right. For, for sex. For sex. Yeah. Even though he's being looked at by federal investigators, he's acting as if nothing has happened. And is there any outcry on the part of his no. political no. allies? But of course, there's a huge outcry amongst the Republicans to get Cuomo out of exactly. there. Exactly. I don't know. What do you think? I think that has to just be laid aside. That falls under the category of things, the things I cannot change. People uh, we, who we, need we, to be thin from the herd. We can't, <laughs> we can't change the hypocrisy on the Republican side. 
But this sounds like really egregious behavior. It's not like Al Franken. And if he felt entitled to do it and felt there was nothing wrong, that almost makes it, it does, that makes it even worse. It does. Because I think it's that sense of entitlement that is actually at the root of the crime. Absolutely. It's not so much, it is the content of what he did. It's where he touched and how he touched and what he said and how he made people feel less than and less powerful than. But the sense of entitlement to do that and then this sense that he didn't do anything wrong, that's bizarre. Even if he was raised in a whole different era where the mindset was different, he's smart and he's here now the way all of us are. And he should know enough to at least say, I did those things and they were bad and I made a terrible mistake. And that's what Joe Biden did. I felt entitled to do it. And I was way wrong. Either he's faking this innocence or he really believes it. But either way, it's to me, that's almost creepier. It is. It's the gaslighting thing. It's, it's, yeah. What he's saying is, I guess I did something wrong, but if you look at it closely, it's not really wrong because it's, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to do that stuff, which is a non-apology apology. It's a non-apology. Yeah. <laughs> no. Not, a, not my circus, not my monkey. <laughs> I love that expression. Yeah. <laughs> Onward to the Olympics. Yes. I was only interested in Simone Biles. Me too. So she backed out of a competition because she was having these symptoms of basically panic attacks called the twisties. I don't know that it's a panic attack. I think it's something that is specific to athletes and more inclusive of gymnasts. Mm -hmm. Any athletic enterprise where you have to spot, mm -hmm. you have to know where you are. Right in the universe. Right. And a story I heard about her was that when she was six years old, she was able to do jumps and leaps that people have to train for for years right. to be able to do them. And she just had this natural ability. She was given up for adoption with a sibling or two. Her mother was addicted to street drugs and the kids starved at times and finally they were taken away from their mother. And I think eventually a relative took care of them, but she really came from a hard scrabble existence. Mm -hmm. And yet this one thing that she could do was kind of miraculous. The fact that she lost her way was difficult, except that she's 24, and that's really old for a gymnast. Gymnasts are like 14 and 15. Oh, right. And for her to be this old and still competing right. is very, very unusual. Okay. I think she just wanted to win another gold with her teammates. And once she figured out that she couldn't spot herself, mm -hmm. she didn't want to take a chance on injuring herself or making her team lose the silver. Right. I think that public opinion came in two flavors. One was, oh, you're such a coward. How could you let your team down like that? Mm -hmm. And also, good for you for taking care of your mental health. See, I think she should get a gold medal in leadership mm -hmm. because she did something that has changed the sport for sure and possibly the entire world by prioritizing her mental well-being. Yeah. Where the old model that we had was you push through no matter what. No matter what. Even and if you've broken your ankle, you still push through. Well, but There was that famous time that the woman had either sprained or broken her ankle mm -hmm. and she did her routine and the American team won gold. Mm -hmm. She was literally carried off of the performing space right. by Bella Corelli, who was the big, big person who was also an associate of 
Dr. Nasser, Dr. Nasser, mm. who had some horrible incident with Simone Biles. You see, I just, I'm, I don't know much about Simone Biles, but I love her because she brought awareness to how we view mental illness. I mean, mental illness is not quite it because what she has was not an ongoing illness, but no. it was a mental condition, an emotional mental condition that she said, I'm not going to do this in this state. And I think she raised awareness about the factuality of mental problems. Yes. Because we as a culture, if you're suffering from something mental, even including addiction, our culture is like, well, you just need to buck up. Just get over it. Yeah, you just need yeah. to get stronger. Get mentally tough. And this is just a, a moral failing on mm -hmm. your part. So she changed the whole zeitgeist. I think you're right because she made it an absolute. Yeah. It wasn't mushy. Right. And Naomi Osaka did the same thing. She is very shy mm -hmm. and was set upon by the press after she had a not very good set. And she said, I'm just not going to talk to the press now. I don't want to talk to the press. And she was fined. And then she pulled out of, I forget what it was, some open Right. And was really criticized. Was Yeah. yeah. I think they're going to hopefully cause people to take another look at the way these kids are raised to do these sports and the extreme yes. stress they're put under. Yes. Oh, we think it's good. For, it's character building. Look how focused they are. Someone told me, too, that one of those gymnasts this time around had an issue about the clothing they're forced to wear. Did you hear anything about that? A lot of gymnasts had issues because they didn't want to wear things that emphasized their female part. Simone Biles was one of those. She just right. wanted to wear what she wanted to wear right. and not... Sexualization. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it sounds healthy to me. I remember a time when I had a naturally gifted athletic child. I remember one of her overly enthusiastic aunts was saying she could be a tennis prodigy. Mm -hmm. And you know, the thing to do is, I mean, she was 10 years old, mm -hmm. is to send her down to Florida where the camps are, where they train them for the Olympics. And I was like, no, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. That right. is not going to happen. Right. Nothing appealed to me less right. than having a child who was focused so much on winning. Yeah. I was listening to somebody talk about, I think he was a skier, but he had been in the Olympics. No, he was a swimmer. He was a swimmer and he was in the Olympics and then it was over. Oh, yeah. Phelps? No, no. He was part of a team sport. Okay. And after it was over, two of the members of his team committed suicide within not distant period of time right, from right. winning because there was nothing left. They had trained all their lives for this oh, event. Oh, right. And once it was over, they had nothing. I don't know if they meddled in it. I think that they did. I think mm. they got the gold medal. That's all the more. She did a great thing because she shook up our minds about how we look at this whole enterprise yeah. and human excellence and, and sports. It's all great. But if there's just widespread, programmatic, abusive pushing of these kids, maybe it's not worth it. I think that there are a lot of eating disorders, just like mm -hmm. there is in dancing. There are a lot of problematic elements to being an Olympic right. level gymnast. And I think you're right. I think that some of the glow is off of that sport that's now. It. That's it. Because we've always admired the people who do it. And uh, who push themselves beyond their limit. Or are pushed beyond. One of the things that I just wanted to touch on is the way that black women were treated in this particular Olympics, I thought was really interesting. Like the black swimmers wanted to have a special cap because, you know, their hair is different than right. white swimmers. At the beginning, they were told, oh, no, 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 we don't have any precedent for that. So you can't have those swimming caps. And then I think they find 
finally relented. Mm. There was the woman whose name I can't remember who was the fantastic runner and she tested positive for marijuana after her mother died and was summarily dismissed from her events. And she apologized. She was very good about the apology. She owned it. She mm-hmm. owned it and wasn't brought into another event where she could have competed. Mm-hmm. She was basically aced out of all of her events. And there was this thing that was talked about called the magical black woman mm-hmm. who is superior in all ways to white women because they have to struggle so much. They have to come through so much. I think Venus and Serena are two examples of that mm-hmm. who are just so vastly superior to anyone else in their league that we put that on black women, that we somehow expect them to be exemplary. And when they're not, and when they fall short, like Simone Biles did, we're disappointed in them. They've disappointed us. It's a reverse racism where they're idealized out of human reality. I think that they're starting to reject it and just say, I don't want your label. I don't want to be here for you. I'm here for me. Do we want to talk about Sunday in the Park with George? Sure. James Lapine directed Sunday in the Park with George. Which surprised me. Was he a director before he was a writer for the books of musicals? I don't know what he did before that. He had never written the book for a musical before he did Sunday in the Park with George. So then when he directed it, I was sort of like, wow, there's a real leap of faith. Because he wrote it and directed it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. He's written a book about about that experience called Side by Side with Sondheim, where he talks about that whole experience of working on Sunday in the Park with George. So they're really pushing that book everywhere you turn. So one of the things they did to help sell the book is put together this interview of Lapine and Sondheim when the interviewer was Christine Baranski. And then oh. the guest panelists joining them for part of the interview were Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters, who wow. starred in the original. Well, for those of our audience who aren't familiar with Sunday in the Park with George, perhaps a brief synopsis might it be in order. Is a musical about an artist named George Seurat, who painted many things, but he invented a form of impressionism called pointillism. He had this theory, anyway, that color forms in our minds when we see a combination of different colors in front of us, so that we may see purple, but what's in it is orange and red and all these different colors. And if you look at a George Seurat painting and go up close, it's all these little dots. Yeah. And you can't see what it is until you step back. So he has a very famous painting called Sunday Afternoon on the Grand Jatt. Anyway, after he died, some rich art patron from Chicago bought it and then willed it huh. to the Chicago Art Institute. And part of the terms of donating it was that the Art Institute could let it travel away from the Art Institute for an exhibition only once. Anyway, so it seems like an unlikely topic for a musical. But what it's really about is the artistic struggle and the artistic act and the act of creation. Artistic creation is really what it's about, which is so cerebral sounding and so conceptual. But what happens in Act One of the musical is that the painting is a painting of a Sunday afternoon on this suburban island in the Seine River, just beyond Paris, and all these people of different kinds having fun on a Sunday. Yeah. And you get to meet them all. They all are given characters and names and lives. And they all interact. And the artist also is there and he's interacting with them. And he's also interacting with his girlfriend who loves him passionately, but also recognizes that she'll never really be with him fully because he's so married to his art. He can't give too much. And she gets that. She understands it. 
Anyway, so it's about the tension in their relationship. But what's so beautiful about Act One is that all these different characters, they're bickering and they're fighting and there's all this conflict and then there's conflict in between the artist and his lover. But at the end, he finishes the painting and the way they stage it is all the characters in the painting slowly come together singing this song called Sunday. It's like a hymn that just makes you feel like you've arrived in heaven. And they all slowly walk to their places and take their places. And out of all this conflict and all this noise and all the difficulty of life, you get the experience of what an artist must feel. He talks about it in the places, bring order to the whole through design, composition, balance, harmony. And so you get the experience of this concept of what making art is play it out in front of you with real people. And there's something so moving. Each one takes his or her place. And it's like they drop their personality for a minute so that they can be part of something bigger. But they're all part of the same bigger thing. Uh So there's Uh a unity. It's just so moving. It's so moving. It sounds great. It is great. Now, in the second act, they deconstruct it? In the second act, it's in the present day. And it's about really the angst of this artist who feels he has nothing to say. But the spirit comes back and interacts with him and helps him to see that he has plenty to say. And even if it's something that it's been said before it hasn't been said by him so when he says it it will be new and it gives him the courage and the confidence to find his own artistic voice and it's all great i saw it many many times and it always made me cry at the end of act one and then at the end of act two they come back and do the painting again and it's just as moving or more so than in act one but you know and this is true with some of the lapine musicals that sondheim did with him act one really grabs me and act two kind of leaves me scratching my head and going i don't know i'm just not Fully getting oh, it. definitely into the woods. Same thing. I mean, and that's definitely. the same people. Yeah, it's yeah. just like that. And for me, it's that way with Sunday in the Park. And it's not that I don't love Sunday in the Park, but I always felt like well, I'm not really getting that too. Okay, so here's this interview, and it's very moving to hear them talk about hmm. how it all happened and all of that. And then they get to the part about how Act Two people kind of didn't all take to it. And Sondheim, who I love more than anyone else on the planet, who's got this great passion about life and love and art. He's so delightful. But he says, well, anyone who didn't like Act Two of Sunny in the Park with George just didn't get it. (laughs) They just didn't get it. And I thought, well, I'm one of those people. (laughs) And I put it in the chat. I said, I really was never a big fan of Act Two. And I I guess I'm one of the people that didn't get it either. But I didn't know that I didn't get it. And I thought, you know what? I'm okay if he thinks I didn't get it. Mm I don't have to make him know that I got it. Right. I don't have to feel like I didn't get it. That's the other side of it. I did get it. I got the play. And I didn't care for Act 2 yeah. so much. So what I'm so excited about is I'm okay with him having that opinion. And it doesn't diminish my experience. Right. And I don't have to convince him of how I did get it. Yeah. I got it very deeply. Yeah. That play, that play reached me on a very deep level. So he's defensive, basically. Yeah. It has a gorgeous song in it called Move On that is one of the most moving pieces of music. Oh, I heard it. It was sung by Jake Gyllenhaal and this wonderful, wonderful actress whose name I don't know. Mm. Wasn't it When he played it on Broadway for a while in a revival. They probably did it in that that first Zoom Sondheim birthday thing. It might have been Ben Platt. Oh, maybe. And the actress. Okay. Yes. I'm almost sure it was Move On. Yeah. Move On is great. But that's so great because it shows that you can be Stephen Sondheim and have written the most amazing American music anyone could imagine. And you can still be human. Yeah. And you can still have your hurts. Yeah. And you can still be defensive about things. It's great for me to reduce him from being God to being a person. So. Man. 
Well, boomers, it is time for us to go. So long, boomers. Have a great week. Yes. Be safe. Be well. And we will talk to you again in a week. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.